1: I don't care what they might say, we love Jesus anyway. One of the greatest accounts in history found in Genesis chapter 6. That is where we turn our attention today as we continue our series Arise, Move and Go here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Again, welcome to today's broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Stan from Grace Bible Church in Hayward, online at grace-bible.com. In Genesis chapter 6, you know, we are called to be light and salt in this earth, and we look about us and think, man, it's hard to be that. Well, how much harder was it for Noah? That is what we're looking at here in Genesis chapter 6 as we take a look at the state of things from God's viewpoint and the grace of God to one man. Here's
2: Pastor Jesse and today's Way of Grace. So now let me just let you see what's going on here. I'm going to tell you two things. I'm going to tell you what it is not, and then I'm going to tell you what it is so that we can keep it moving. In Genesis 6, 1 and 2, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. This is when men start to get beside themselves. Once you get a group of folks in large numbers, they think they can do everything. They began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. Obviously, you can't multiply without women. Thank God for women, right? I mean, we are moving into AI where that is about to be ended if the devil has his way. But right now, God is still dealing with the organic dimensions of human existence and warning you about where we are now. The goal is to violate parameters, to exceed the boundaries To destroy the binary, he made them male and female. But before we get there, what he's helping you and I understand is the need to recognize that the biological imperative to have children is designed by God to be within a framework of marriage and that marriage is to be designed around the compatibility of persons at the spiritual level first. So what you're dealing with in the text is not some idea of fallen demonic angels somehow having sex with human beings and creating weird, bizarre cantars and and, and, and Greek mythological gods. That's not what's going on here. The only reason you would buy that is because you don't sit under sound teaching. Are you keeping up with me? So our text, if you're listening to me, deal with the doctrine of angels on Tuesdays and Fridays. I've explained that angels don't procreate. They don't copulate. They don't have the physical apparatus for it. Angels don't multiply and angels don't diminish. Angels also don't die. So drowning them in a flood doesn't help. Y'all keeping up with me? Right. So what we're dealing with in our text is what God has always dealt with. He says to his people, make sure that that man you marry knows me. That's going to be your best condition. And even then you're going to have trouble depending on what side of the fence he was born on. (laughs) It's not safe just because you married a a believer. I'm sorry. You got work. If that believer doesn't hang out with God as we're about to see, you're going to deal with a brother that basically is not operating out of his identity. This is even more true for the female. Every man's wife is godly in his own eyes in order that he might say, I do. And then a week later, the trouble sets in. Y'all know what I'm saying is true. Marriage is more than difficult. And what the Bible says is at length, when you violate the parameters of being equally yoked, you're going to end up having a society after many, many decades and centuries that we're dealing with in our text. Amen. I have told these people at Grace for years, what you're looking at in Genesis 1, 6, 1 through 7 is simply society, cultures after Jesus. In other words, Jesus is done. In other words, God is done. When you mix the seeds, the godly and the ungodly, and they begin to proliferate, a good portion of their children are going to be ungodly. And over time, any influence on the part of the divine is going to leave the culture and the world is going to look like my nation. We are a post-Christian nation. I live in a nation where we have abandoned, Torah. We have abandoned the totality of scripture. We have abandoned the true and the living God. And we have abandoned Jesus. We are the apostate children of former generations. Am I making some sense? That's where we are. Now, I heard my older speaking to uh, Psalm 72, uh, where David is setting forth his, his sort of uh, plaintiff against the wicked. But what you don't know is the wicked that David was talking about were church folk. See, almost all of your so-called politicians that we deem as secular, they grew up in church. Do you understand what I'm talking about? This is all post-Christian. This is all post-biblical. These are men and women who passed through. They didn't come to stay. They came to go. And they're out of the church now dominated by dark powers. But they can quote the Bible better than you can. So what we're dealing with under point number one, the state of things from God's standpoint is the violation of boundaries. Now, look at what it says in verse two, that the sons of God, these are believers, professing believers at the male capacity because we're dealing with patriarchy here. They saw the daughters of men that they were what? And they took them wives of all which they what? So they married them. This wasn't just hitting women over the head and dragging them in the bushes. This construction in Genesis 6 verse 2 is the same construction in Genesis 3, 4 when the text said, And Eve saw that the tree was good for food and that it was one to make a person wise, so she took of it. This is what we would call a recapitulation principle. Haven't I taught you that? So now the society as a whole is doing what Eve did, eating of the fruit that was forbidden. That makes sense, doesn't it? Construction is exactly the same. She saw, she took, she ate. They saw, they took the women and they entered into marital union. And then you get the outcome. Look at it, what it says. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. They took of them wives of all which they chose. Verse three. Now, here comes God and the Lord says, so what you're about to get is a bird's eye view of God's perspective of what just happened. Because, see, God knows the outcome of our choices. He already sees it coming. Because we're paying God no attention. We're not doing what God says. Listen to what it says. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always thrive with man for that he is flesh. Yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty. Do you see that? So this is where we have now reduced the chronological average of man from almost a thousand years down to 120. I told you about that. Right. So use this as a 10 factor reduce. If men living almost a thousand years, you reduce it. They're 100 years old. Right. That's where you and I are now. The 120 became an average after the days of Moses. God said, I'll trail it off. After the flood, immediately it trailed down to half the amount of numbers. you got a few men that lived a couple hundred years old, but not much more than that. Noah is the only one after the flood to live to be 950 years old. After him, in the days of uh, Abraham and following, only about 150. Abraham lived to be 175 years old. That's pretty old, but the numbers have reduced, have they not? That means God does not want to contribute to the proliferation of the ungodly seed by patriarchy being 700, 809 years old. That makes sense, right? Helping you. Also, the other element in that text is that God is going to destroy the world in about a hundred years. Now, please hear me. God is not telling anybody on the planet this. They don't know that there is a major catastrophe coming. And they're going about life as they normally do. They are in the dark, aren't they? And it would be good if they had a futurist around. That was my opening point. Somebody that can go around, hey, 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 I'm letting you know this game y'all running is not going to run for a thousand years. Just kind of letting you know. I'm letting you know you, ne- you need to work on your money. I'm letting you, letting you know you need to work on a proper place to be. Yeah. I'm letting you know you need to be dealing with your relationships because I'm telling you, these hard times are really going to be the evidence of the fog of war. What war? The war of heaven and earth. The war of the fall of Satan, controlling the hearts of men, teaching them to violate God's boundaries so that it produces a society of fleshly, carnal men and women who do the devil's bidding. Does that make sense? Would you call that a war? It's a war. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the devil and his angels. And the devil was cast down to the earth. And there was a war in heaven. So earth is always the kind of theater of a spiritual war. Y'all know that. That's what you're getting in Genesis account. So now let's look at the implications of that because this is important. And I'll deal with this issue here, uh, striving uh, in in a moment. Under point number uh, uh, number one, sub point A, the violation of the boundaries. Listen to the way the language sets itself up. I'm going to start at verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children unto them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. So, here's what you need to take from here is that there is often this really weird psychosis that goes on in society when human beings live outside of God's will and they begin to collaborate at the intimate levels and business levels and and levels of science, it just appears biblically that some of the most notorious characters on the planet who end up wreaking the most havoc on society are people who are deeply knowledgeable about the Bible. Most of your rulers, your monarchs, have always been interested in knowing what God was up to So they could play God. I'm teaching you guys a lot about the uh, importance of the Holocaust for those of you who are keeping up with me and following my my presentations, I'm teaching you how that the Holocaust had fundamental patterns that led up to the destruction of those people and then post effects as well. And that we are in a second pre-Holocaustic scenario right now. Many of us can see it and all of the survivals understand it where we are today. Well, what you must know is that Hitler was absolutely Uh, fixated on knowing about religion and having power over the church and having power over the relics and the artifacts in the church. Because what you have with wicked men is an allegiance with demonic powers that are often always wanting to bring into captivity the things of God. This is why you have Nebuchadnezzar really grasping after wise men to sit in his council. And hence Daniel and, and Meshach, you know, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are there. This is why in the days of Erd- Xerxes, you've got some of our wise Jewish brethren like Nehemiah and Ezra in that, in, in that upper circle of the rulers. This is why even with Pharaoh, he has Joseph in his council and there would have been other godly men there. I told somebody this the other day that the revelation of God has always been on the planet, And power will always take the wisest men. Now, today, human wisdom is operating out of a sense of secular scientific prowess, power through secular science. More than a couple of hundred years ago, it used to be a conflation of science and theology. Did you know that? Right. So I'll just leave you with that. Your Bible will teach you that the power structures will always hire and pay wicked men like Judas and Iscariot to be part of the betrayal system of the elite and the aristocracy. So when you read here, giants in the earth, when you read here, renowned men, these are men who have been wise and understood how sociology works. They've been men who have been wise to understand the fears and the limitations and the traditions and the perspectives of people on a societal level because you can only control people when you know them. So then the text goes on to explain to us over in verse um, Verse five, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Isn't that an amazing assessment? Now, this is a bird's eye view. Let me take you back to the horizontal for a moment to help you. The horizontal looks like this. It looks like people working, engaging in commerce, paying their bills, albeit with some tribulation. It looks like people marrying and giving in marriage, doing life that's normal. That's what it looks like on a horizontal level. Y'all keeping up with me? It looks that way with a small measure of instability around a little crime here and a little crime there. This is what I call the maladjusted behavior of the ghetto. When you live in the hood, as I did from day one, things are normal for us around crime. And sleeping with several women and several men and having babies out of wedlock. And going to church and coming right out the church slanging dope and killing each other. That was the norm. That's what you're dealing with right here. That's what you're dealing with. So don't create a dichotomy in this and think that what you're looking at Genesis 6 has never ever occurred before. No, this is the world we live in. And some of us, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, if you grew up poor, you know what I'm talking about. You and I would be jaded when we would see somebody getting robbed. We just keep going. We see somebody get stabbed, we just keep going. We see somebody get killed, we keep going. Because that's called being maladjusted to evil. Does that make some sense, child of God? It's called being in the fog of war. Now, God sees it for what it is. He sees the groups. He sees the gangs. He sees the legislators. He sees the rulers. He sees the assembly. He sees the council. He sees a hierarchy of authorities in the physical dimension. And they're all thugging, they're all hoodlums, they're all criminals. And they want the rest of the common folks on the ground to stay criminal in their behavior because when you overcome criminality, then you get to walk in your autonomy and you get to discover that God blesses obedience, parameters, boundaries, and things like that. Am I making some sense? The ways of a transgressor are hard. I grew up in that and it didn't mean a thing to me. It made me tough. Got educated, played ball. Achieve several kinds of goals, simultaneously slanging dope and harming other people. Did you hear what I just stated? Until God shut me down in his mercy. But the hood is like that. And when you got a whole society living like that, and that's what we're looking at in terms of the aggregate whole of our world and the unhinged, that's my next point, unhinged violence of our governance. The world is turning into the ghetto. That's where you are. That's where you are. And you got to know how to actually navigate the hood. That's why for some of us it's just fine. Oh, yeah, I'm used to this. And I can do God in it because I've been doing God in it for 40 years. This is what I love about the Holocaust survivor presentations I'm giving with you. Them them brothers are some good thugs. The Bell brothers were some thugs. They knew how to do it. They knew how to arm up and deal with the enemy and help people escape because they understood to actually submit to ungodly governance is to put yourself in limitations where you are forced to be immoral. All right. Am I making some sense? Little brothers went out into the woods and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to engage in some guerrilla warfare. <laughs> and they would go in at night and sneak people out. Say, we got pathways and routes to help you escape what is here and what's coming. Well, what about if they come after us? Let them come up in here. We know these woods well. Let them come up in here. And the SS would never come up into the woods. People survived all the way through because there were soldiers who knew how to navigate the fog of war. Am I making some sense? I could tell you a ton of stories. And that's what we are in our culture today. We need wise men and women, wise as serpents and gentle as doves. That's what Jesus said. I'm putting you in the midst of wolves. Don't you think this world loves me or you? Now, if you're a sheep in the midst of wolves, don't you have to be alert? You have to be obedient to your shepherd to lead you and navigate you through this crazy system so that you're not a victim of consequences. It's what we're dealing with in our text. Now, let me take you back briefly to subpoint B. Show you something here before we move on. This is called. The disregard for conviction. The Lord sees them doing nothing but evil, scheming evil, harming men and women. He'll tell Noah that in a moment. But here's what verse 3 says. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Do you see it? Now, here's an insight into your God. Are you ready? Your God is committed to letting you know what's right and wrong. Now, I've told you when you read your Bible carefully, you can't read your Bible and not know a God who is vitally committed to being in the midst of your mess, to tell you about your mess and give you a remedy to your mess. You cannot read your Bible and think that God is a God afar of off and He doesn't care. He's indifferent and we don't know where He is. Your Bible tells you and I that God immediately pursued Adam and Eve when they failed. That means He's interested. The Bible tells us He immediately addressed Cain even before Cain did it, caught it on His face. That's called caring. And so when the text tells us that God strives with us, you know what that indicates? We largely wrestle against God. So I just want you to know that the spirit of God is everywhere present because he's omnipresent. And he works at the level of uh, conscientiously opening you and I up to the moral implications of our choices. He, He makes us aware that the way we are thinking is problematic. Doesn't he? He helps us to deal with the struggle within of violating boundaries. That's Romans two fourteen and 15. The law is written in your heart. You and I generally as a, a human race across the world, we know that it's not right to murder, to steal, to defraud, to harm people. We, we know that we're created in the Imago Dei. But the conscious having those larger building blocks of moral parameters need the added assistance of the spirit of God pressing down on you to make you aware that your actions and your thinking is not good. This is the crisis of conscience. Am I making some raise your hand if I'm making some sense because I'm going to stop right here if y'all not getting it. It's called the crisis of conscience. You see a child will start to develop that at about three or four years old. The first couple, two or three years, the child's conscience is really committed to the ego of self. And the child is simply driven by making sure he uses everything around him. She uses everything around them to get their needs met. You got grownups like that. This is what we call narcissism. Very narrow in their social correspondence. Very narrow in their capacity to understand that there are people in my life to whom I have to engage in a, an appropriate way in order to get what I want. And that those people have the responsibility of not giving me everything that I want. And it's going to train my conscience to know socially what's good and what's bad. Does that make sense? And so what we have going on in our text is God giving you insight and to the fact that though He's everywhere present and that He sits in the heavens, His Spirit penetrates into all of our heart to give us a witness of what's right and wrong.
1: And on that note, we will close out today's broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Stand, the ministry of Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward. If you have questions about our broadcast, maybe you would like to spend some time with us worshiping the Lord. We would love to see you. You can get all of that information and reach out to us through our website at grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Listen to past sermons as well as guest preachers. Again, at our website, grace-bible.com. We'll even let you have any of the notes, sermon notes that are available from these sermons as well. Again, there's an awful lot of resource material available at our website, grace-bible.com. If you'd like to reach out to us by phone, our number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. Sunday services here at the church are at 1030 Friday evening Bible study is at 6.30. Tuesday prayer and Bible study again at 6.30. Directions and information again at our website grace-bible.com or by calling 510-886-9782. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with this ministry as we reach out to the Bay Area and the world on the World Wide Web? We do so because we are linking arms with other listeners such as yourself. This is a listener-supported ministry. Your gifts, no matter the size and no matter the volume, are a great help as we continue this ministry called Way of Grace. Consider that as you reach out to us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan. I don't care what they might say, we love Jesus anyway. I don't care what they might say, we love Jesus anyway.